You're listening to Vox Talk, the voiceover industry's number one podcast, brought to you by Voices.com. It's about voice acting, growing your business, and sharing your knowledge. Vox Talk is a show that you can be a part of. Getting involved is both fun and rewarding. It's time for this week's episode of Vox Talk with your host, Stephanie Cicerelli. Hi there. Welcome to the show. This week, Carmi and I are going to shake things up a bit. Let us know how you like the new format. The Biz, helping you grow your voiceover business. So, Carmi, I really enjoyed that article that you've written about the new Angry Birds film. Why don't you tell us a bit about it? Okay, well, first of all, I am an inveterate addict of Angry Birds. Five years after I first played it, uh, I'm, I'm still playing it. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell my <laughs> wife, please. Um, it is addictive, and, and, and there's a reason it's become a billion-dollar company, one of the most popular uh, video games, mobile games on the planet. Um, and, and the great news is, is if you loved playing the game on your iPad, on your smartphone, you're going to get to see it in movie theaters. July 1st, 2016, uh, they have just announced that the, the movie is coming to theaters. Oh, my goodness. And it's going to be a, a 3D computer-generated imagery or CGI animation film, uh, just like something from Pixar, just like something from DreamWorks. Uh, it stars Jason Sudeikis. Uh, it stars Peter Dinklage. Uh, and if you're familiar with Saturday Night Live, it stars Bill Hader as well. Uh, and this, quite frankly, is, you know, you always ask, can they make a really great movie out of a video game? Uh, we're about to find out, and I can tell you there are probably lots of lots of Angry Birds fr- uh, fans out there who are you know, going to rush, maybe you know, take their iPads with them to the theaters and uh, watch the movie. Well, certainly. Well, I know that Angry Birds has been on my radar, too. And in fact, years ago, I uh, got to interview the gentleman who composed the theme song for Angry Birds, which I think everyone knows, da 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 and so on. Um, but anyway, like it just it seems like such an amazing game for well, all the reasons you've mentioned. People are just clearly really loving it and still loving it, um, that it only is a natural thing for it to become a film. I think it is because, you know, video games, they're not just games. We tend to think of them as, as trivial. Oh, it's just a game. But in reality, they become part of our culture. I mean, if you think about it, for a while they were talking about it at the Super Bowl. There, It was it was all the rage on Twitter and on Facebook. It was all anyone could talk about. Uh, and so it really becomes part of your day-to-day life. And so it isn't just something that you play. It's something that you speak about with people around you. It's something that becomes office water cooler conversation. So, of course, it's natural that we would identify with these birds and want to in- involve ourselves with them. Not just on a video screen, but on a movie screen too. And I, I, I can't wait. I think what stories would those birds have to tell? We're about to find out. We certainly are. And initially, the vocals were recorded in Rovio's offices a long time ago. Of course, this is the app we're talking about, the, the games. And uh, there were essentially, you know, a few select people who were involved on the staff, including that composer who I mentioned, and uh, their lead designer and their CEO. So there are some voices that weren't quite voice talent working on these games. So you can only imagine what an actual professional celebrity type voice actor might do with the voices for these birds. I'm really excited about the voice potential of this movie, because if you look at kind of who's going to be participating, I mean, these really are, it's the who's who of voice. Uh, Bill Hader, who starred in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, he's a Saturday Night Live uh, alum. Maya Rudolph, who's done extensive voice work as well. You know, she's she's right there. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, who's just, I mean, he's done so much commercial work out there. So, I mean, these are not just sort of tier B stars. These are some of the leading voice talents in Hollywood today. 
voicing this movie. Well, that's fantastic, but Carmi, this does come at an interesting time. Well, there was a little bit of bad news this week from the company. Rovio did announce that they were laying off 130 people, or about 16% of their workforce. Um, which, you know, if you look at it in context, in reality, they were growing incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the video game market, the mobile game market, has changed. Uh, kind of the way you make money from games like Andrew, Angry Birds has changed over the past couple of years, and so the company is just adjusting its growth rates a little bit. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's any less of a cultural force than it already is. It just means that the triple-digit growth rates of years past, let's not forget this company's been around for five years, uh, are no longer sustainable. So they're just adjusting going forward. Uh, it doesn't mean that I want to see this movie in 2016 any less. Mm-hmm, I totally agree. And along the same lines, I know that there is another animation house that has got some news. So tell us what's cooking up there with DreamWorks. The good news is is that uh, they're possibly being bought. There are, ru- there are rumors, reports floating that SoftBank, which is a very large Japanese media and entertainment company, is in fact in talks to buy DreamWorks Animation, which is a unit of DreamWorks SKG, formed about 20 years ago by Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and David Geffen, kind of a sort of a new age, next generation uh, animation-focused studio. Uh, the last few years have not been kind to DreamWorks. They've had a number of setbacks at the box office, which means they don't don't have as much money or flexibility to create new projects. SoftBank has a really great track record in terms of investing in properties uh, for the long haul, really putting resources into them, giving them what they need to fly once again. And so uh, when this deal closes, the good news is, is DreamWorks Animation will once again have what it needs to be to be a force on the animation front. Thanks for sharing that news about DreamWorks. But I know that there's even something a little bit closer to home that we could talk about, and that is about accents and regionalism. So if we could, uh, I know that um, a lot of the talk lately has been about how to modify your accent or how to maybe even uh, take on a new one, for that matter, or translate a script and, and localize it for a certain community. Now, just recently, there was a discussion on Twitter, actually, around this very thing, and I think it had something to do with your hometown, Montreal. <laughs> That's right. As anyone who knows, me, and I guess if you hear my voice, you hear it in my voice. You know that I'm originally from Montreal, moved here a few years ago, Uh, but I guess old habits die hard, and so the words that I choose to use, the accent that I have, just sort of the, the overall slant of my language use really does paint me as a native Montrealer. Um, and it's interesting because when I when I was living in Montreal, I actually, I, I, I posted for a job. It was a voice job and I ended up not getting it. And the uh, director said, well, you didn't sound like you were from here. Mm. Uh, and I didn't realize that you could sound from here or from there or anywhere, <laughs> yeah. which you know, quite frankly freaked me out. But it really got me thinking. It's that, you know what, it, being from somewhere gives you that sense of authenticity that if the client is looking for a voice from, in this case, it was Montreal, but it could be from anywhere. Uh, do you sound like you speak the language? Do you refer to certain stores? Like in Montreal, a convenience store is called a De Panel. Do you, you know, but if you're not from Montreal, you wouldn't know that. And if, if you're in a commercial or you're, you're, you're going for something, you're auditioning, have you looked into the cultural mores, the social aspects, the sort of what it means at, a, at an internal level to be a Montrealer? And does that come through in your voice work? And obviously at the time, I wasn't paying attention to it. It didn't come through in my voice work. And I lost the job because of it. But in retrospect now, uh, every time I go for something, I'm thinking, do I sound like I'm from there? Am I authentic? Because if the answer is no, I've got to do a little bit of homework. 
Mm-hmm. And I know on Twitter, if maybe people even saw this conversation happening, it's, it's quite possible. But Jay Menard, who was here in London, who happened to have been from Montreal, whom you knew before, uh, commented. He chimed in to kind of put his own little local spin on, on what was going on there, too. And I think that's really interesting that on a neighborhood level, even across the street level in some cases, you can sound very different from someone who is uh, literally a stone's throw away. And that's the most amazing thing. I never even realized that it could be that granular, that sort of, you know, block by block that someone could place you. Oh, you grew up between here and here. And I can tell just from your accent or from the the, the words that you use. But, uh, you know, when Jay tweeted me, I realized that growing up in Montreal, Montreal is a city of neighborhoods. And you can tell that, you know, I I grew up in a a particular suburb just north of Montreal called Chamity. Our use of English was very different than his. He he spent time in St. Leonard or Cote St. Paul or somewhere else, his English is by, by, you know, by definition different than mine. And for someone who's got an acute enough ear for listening, they can tell the difference. And so you ha- always have to ask yourself the question, if I'm posting for a job, where's that director from? And is their ear keen enough to be able to tell whether I'm real and authentic or faking it? And so you really <laughs> got to think down to that level, which I think is amazing. It adds another layer of complexity to the entire industry. But at the same time, it means that if you pay attention to these very subtle cues, you give yourself a competitive advantage because chances are no one else is paying attention. Well, of course, unless they're listening to Vox Talk right now, but yes. still. Yes, of course. <laughs> and so I know we were talking a bit earlier before the show about this, but not only can someone recognize you on kind of a very local level, as in, you know, this city in this part of town, but you can also run into provincial or state kind of recognition. People know that regionalism, they can ad- identify, and maybe even it's on a national level. So if someone comes from out of province or out of state or out of the country, country that you're from, then you often pick up on those things. So I'm thinking some personal experiences I've had where I've been in the United States. And oftentimes when I'm down there, people will say, I knew it. I knew it. You're Canadian. I heard it. I heard it. And it's like, what? Out and about? Is that what got you there? Was it A? Did I say something? Um, But what I find really interesting is that sometimes they don't know. Which is like, whoa, like I had one of those experiences. And it was actually at Voice 2014, where someone said, oh, well, I didn't realize you were from wherever. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> everywhere I go, people know, you know, she's probably from Ontario or she's got that sound. She sounds like a Southwestern Ontario person. But but honestly, and, and something that you had said earlier, Carmi, about you not necessarily knowing what you sound like to other people, like, we don't dis- we don't know what our own accent sounds like. Well, that's right, because and we don't have the ability to step outside ourselves, yeah. really, and see ourselves in the third person. But maybe we should try a little bit harder to kind of understand what how do we sound to the outside world? And that's true. And whenever someone is learning a new accent or dialect or some kind of a, they have to learn the regionalisms or, or how people speak or the mm-hmm. colloquialisms that people are using um, in particular places, especially if it's about a role that you're performing in a production where location plays a huge role or a factor in, in the whole way the story is mm-hmm. told. Like you have to know those things. And if you don't have those down, then you could totally not get the role. Like if, That's if, right. Yeah. And you don't have to have, you don't have to, you know, we, I, I use the term native speaker, but you don't have to have been from a place in order to be authentically sounding like you're from that place. Mm-hmm. It could be just a matter of study. So uh, if you're not from somewhere, but you're, you're, you're trying to get some work in that area, take the time to understand the culture and the language. And if, if you have the luxury of time and travel, go there and immerse yourself in the people. Spend time down on the street 
have, you know, break bread with them and learn sort of how they live, how they speak, how they interact, where they hang out, what they call certain things. If you can't actually go there, who has the time, uh, then you can certainly use technology to bridge that gap. And so you can, you can use uh, Skype, you can use FaceTime, you can talk to people on the phone and spend the time to really soak up what it is that makes them unique. And then you can go online. I, what I often love to do is I use Google Street View and I walk down the main street of a place that I want to reconnect with and that helps me almost kind of you know, guidepost my way around so that I feel like I'm there, which then, of course, depending on what it is that I'm doing, can inform whatever performance I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I love those little tips. You gave people a number of takeaways. So you could go online, you could kind of do a little walk around a place just to see and kind of get familiar with the visual aspect of mm-hmm. what it is. But then you could also listen to people who are from that area or kind of try to emulate how they speak. And, and there are some resources online too, where you can hear what native speakers of certain um, from certain places sound like. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the International Dialects of English Archive. And you go to that website, you can hear any number of native speakers from different places and they even say how old someone might be too like the age of that person and when this voice sample was recorded mm. so you can do a little research in that department um, but certainly it, you can learn how to sound like you are actually from somewhere if you give it enough thought and enough practice that's right and don't underestimate the power of a little bit of online research i mean you can go and you can read up on a place and use that as a starting point just to kind of get yourself into that mindset of what it is to be like someone from there. You know, the trick really is to put yourself there. Even if you can't physically be there, take the time, study up, and that really does give you an edge over most people who, quite frankly, don't even realize that this is an issue. Tech Talk, walking you through the technological landscape. I think everybody needs to know about this 16-year-old genius in India who has created a technology that will make a huge impact on anyone who has lost use of their voice. Now, I know you followed this quite closely, Carmi, and um, the child, teenager, my goodness, he's, he's just a genius, whatever age he is. Arsh Shah Dilbagi, I believe, um, has just, you know, just skyrocketed here with the awards he's received and just the uh, the amazing impact, I think, that uh, what he's developed will have on people all around the world. I think that's what excites me so much about this, Stephanie, is that here you have this 16-year-old kid who realized that technology has the power to transform lives. And the only way you're going to do that is by coming up with this very simple solution that is affordable uh, and, you know, easy to attain for anyone that can really change the lives of people who otherwise otherwise have lost their voice, are locked in, are unable to communicate verbally with those around them. And uh, by his estimate, he says it it, it affects 1.4% of the world's population. So they can suffer from locked-in syndrome, uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, right? Remember Mm -hmm. the the ice bucket challenge, um, as as well as uh, speech impairments, some including uh, dysarthria. Uh, And so basically he's saying millions of people with this very simple technology can benefit. And the way it works is real simple. Um, You you wear this, it's almost like a microphone and it, it goes either just below your nose or right in front of your mouth and uh, even if you can't speak what you do is you you blow very light breaths into it uh, and it, it accepts two kinds of input a short breath which is like a dot or a long breath which is like a dash and if that sounds like morse code yeah it's insane it is that's exactly what it is and so you what you do is you teach it words and then you teach more words and you string those words together into phrases and you essentially build a vocabulary for yourself which then allows you to engage in real-time communication with regular people out in the real world uh, as you teach it more and more and so you know you don't have a physical voice but this technology for a lot less money than anything that's ever been sold before it's known as talk allows you to have that capability. 
Wow. And so talk will help people literally to talk because they're teaching the system how to kind of read what they want to say in so many, and they build up a lexicon or a language ways mm -hmm. for this uh, app. Is it an app? Is that how it is? Or? Yes, it is. It's a it, it's a it's a physical headset that you wear on your head that mm -hmm. records your voice, but it also connects to an app that learns and stores all of your information and then goes with you whenever you're out and about. Oh my goodness! So um, if I were someone who clearly doesn't know Morse code, uh, how would I go about learning how to teach the machine to do what? Like how, if you don't know anything about it, then is that a steep learning curve? Not really. I mean, you know, within, and I, I had the same question because, you know, my Morse code skills, as you can imagine, are a little rusty in the age of the internet. Yeah. Uh, but I went online and within about 30 seconds, I Googled it. I had, there's a wiki page on it. There are YouTube videos that can walk you through how to do this. In fact, uh, you know, I, I, I think what we should do is, and I think what I will do is I'll be pulling some of these resources together. I'm going to add them to the article that we've got on VoiceOver Times because what a great resource to have. If you're a little rusty on Morse code, here's where to go. And that's what I love about the internet. You can have a question within 30 seconds, it's answered. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoy this because people who have been robbed of their voice now have an alternative. It isn't necessarily a text-to-speech sort of thing where someone's voice that isn't yours is talking for you mm -hmm. in, in the same sense anyway. Like you're, you're, it seems almost like the person who is using this device has a bit more of themselves put into it. Only like, I know obviously thoughts and words and, you know, no matter what you're using, that's mm -hmm. coming through. But even just the physical breathing them out, it seems like that would be a little more connectivity for those people. It is because it's it's less machine-like. It's more you. Um, it's more human. It's real. Um, and you're not relying exclusively on the technology. You are driving the technology. One of the problems with people who are locked in is that they are so disconnected, they feel like they don't have that control. What this does is it brings that control back to them. And unlike traditional technologies, this stuff has been around for a while. What it hasn't been around is at a price point that most normal people around the world can afford. So what this does is instead of benefiting just a relative few people. I mean, we all know Stephen Hawking, who uses technology very similar to this to communicate, but you know, he's a world-famous physicist. I'm sure he's got the budget for it. What about the millions of other people who don't have that budget? This opens it up to them, and you know, quite frankly, I think we can say that the benefit is even broader than it would otherwise be. So the robots aren't taking over then, Carmi, are they? No, they're not. And I, every time we, we see stories like this about voice synthesis, we tend to worry that the robots are coming for us. But <laughs> the robots <laughs> yeah. are coming. The robots are coming. But they're yeah. not. And, no. and I think that's the thing is no one's ever going to believe that, you know, the voices that ensue from these technologies will take over from a professional voice actor. You know, they won't convince anyone that it's true fidelity, not mm. even close. There are probably years more of research and technological advancements before we can even get remotely close to this but at this but still just to be able to reconnect with the world uh, without us worrying that they are going to take over I think it's a wonderful thing and I see no downside to this at all yeah so uh, the robots they're okay they're far away oh from now. good yes we, we uh, we're very very happy to hear that <laughs> thank you so much this is fabulous news for anyone who, um, I guess, is in that situation where they, they do not have access to their voice. But what about those people who currently are professional voice users and are perhaps worried or, or thinking that it's a possibility that one day they may not have access to their instrument? And what can they do? 
Well, we don't often think sort of what happens if we lose our voice. You know, your voice really is your career. If you don't have it, there goes your career. So the question is, is what would you do from a revenue perspective if you lost it and couldn't get it back? If we've sort of seen this happen with Julie Andrews, she had surgery in 1997, essentially lost her ability to truly sing. Um, and she was one of the lucky ones. She was able to continue acting. Of course, she had it if something to fall back on. But if you're a voiceover actor and that's all you do, or if you do commercial narration uh, and you have no voice, do you have a plan B? So, you know, one is career-wise, what else would I do if I could not rely exclusively on my voice? So career planning to try to redirect your career. But then also, if you can't replace that as a source of revenue, you need to look at things like insurance. And in the industry, we have many examples of uh, some very big stars like Bruce Springsteen, uh, like Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, who in the past have, have uh, insured their voices as you know, standalone instruments, just like a, a, a violinist would insure a 300-year-old Stradivarius. Um, and they, because they recognize that if they lose their voice and it never comes back, they'll never be able to make the same degree of revenue that they do now. Mm -hmm. Something else that we should be aware of is, is it's not only the voice necessarily that voice talent need to be concerned with. Uh, there are other issues with respiratory health mm -hmm. and, and just being able to breathe properly. Uh, but what I actually learned this week, someone had talked to me when they came into the office about it, and I had no idea, but Dame Judy Dench has had vision problems. And so um, the result of this is that she can no longer read scripts mm -hmm. anymore and people are having to read them to her, I believe, and she may be having to do line reads. Like, you know how if uh, someone comes into studio, maybe it's a young child mm -hmm. and they can't read quite yet. So what people will do in that situation is say, all right, Jimmy or Sally, come sit down and, and you're going to repeat after me. This is sort of that same thing where, well, what do you do and how do you kind of work your way through and, and navigate through what happens when something that you rely on so heavily becomes um, altered in any way or perhaps even um, removed entirely? That's right. I think we need to look past the actual physical loss of your voice. It's your ability to communicate vocally. And so it could be loss of vision. It could be loss of respiratory capability. It could be um, a physical thing that doesn't allow you to get to the studio or into the studio if it's difficult to travel. There's so many sort of different types of ailments that could, could compromise a voice career. And you have to think about what those are and how you would work around them. Uh, there's also critical care insurance, which of course helps replace some of the revenue if your career cannot be followed. But, you know, of course, you want to understand what those ailments are up front and hopefully maybe avoid them if you possibly can. And then if you can, know what your alternative uh, plan is going to be. Good tips, Carmi. Thanks. Thanks, Stephanie. Voxbox, sharing your audio feedback. Stephanie, I'm really glad that you mentioned Dame Judy Dench's experience because uh, we got this really great comment from uh, Fred Brack after last week's Vox Talk episode number 72. Um, and, you know, that was when we were talking about Ken Burns, the Roosevelts. And he said that we, uh, we you know, we had missed an opportunity to talk about a, another opportunity for voice actors. So, Fred, this one's for you. We are going to talk about it now. And basically, it's um, the series is described as, as Fred writes, audio described for people who are blind or have low vision. So a professional voice actor got the job of voicing the description through the show. So Fred's reminder is don't forget about audio description on the second audio program or SAP channel. Even though you know we're not seeing tons of those opportunities out there, it is still there for voice professionals to know about and it's something to keep an eye open because if it's flying below the radar of most industry professionals but you're looking for it, you might find an opportunity that someone else might miss. 
That's for sure. And I know that we've already got some ideas around this coming up. We've written about it in the past too, but we've got some more coming. Certainly we have connections within the field who we'd like to bring into the conversation as well. So Mm -hmm. thank you again, Fred, for sharing your thoughts. Yeah, no, that was great stuff. And, uh, you know, if you want to leave a comment, then by all means, you know, we welcome them. Of course, we will talk. We we reserve the right to talk about you on air afterward, of course, but that's part of the fun. This isn't just our conversation. It's yours. So we've created a special hashtag in Twitter. It's hashtag VoxTalk, all one word uh, tweet your suggestions tweet your comments tweet anything you want questions answers you name it we'll be watching and we'll talk about your questions next week thank you for joining us continue the conversation on twitter with your friends i'm stephanie cicerelli we'll see you next week